reading from 1 Samuel 25. And David said to Abigail, Blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, who sent you this day to meet me. Blessed be your discretion, and blessed be you, who have kept me this day from blood guilt and from avenging myself with my own hand. For as surely as the Lord, the God of Israel, lives, who has restrained me from hurting you, unless you had hurried and come to meet me, truly by morning there had not been left to Nabal so much as one male. Then David received from her hand what she had brought him. And he said to her, Go up in peace to your house. See, I have obeyed your voice, and I have granted your petition. And Abigail came to Nabal. And behold, he was holding a feast in his house, like the feast of a king. And Nabal's heart was merry within him, for he was very drunk. So she told him nothing at all until the morning light. In the morning, when the wine had gone out of Nabal, his wife told him these things, and his heart died within him, and he became as a stone. And about ten days later, the Lord struck Nabal, and he died. When David heard that Nabal was dead, he said, Blessed be the Lord, who has avenged the insult I received at the hand of Nabal, and had has kept back his servant from wrongdoing. The Lord has returned the evil of Nabal on his own head. Then David sent and spoke to Abigail to take her as his wife. When the servants of David came to Abigail at Carmel, they said to her, David has sent us to you to take you to him as his wife. And she rose and bowed with her face to the ground and said, Behold, your maidservant is a servant to wash the feet of the servants of my Lord. And Abigail hurried and rose and mounted a donkey, and her five young women attended her. She followed the messengers of David and became his wife. Good morning. Just so you know, next week, the elementary students will be joining us for the first half of the service or so, so uh, I would just encourage you to really welcome them and let them feel a really part of the body as they worship with us through the rest of the summer. I want to begin with a question this morning. Who really listens to you? As you have conversations with people, who in your life really hears you? Really hears not just your words, but Here's your heart underneath the word. And to turn it around, to whom do you really listen? There's a book that came out a few years ago, a good book called The Lost Art of Listening by Michael Nichol. As he tells us, he says, in our culture, we've gotten further and further away from good communication, from good relationships. We have lost the art of really listening to one another. And in our information culture with the Internet and with Twitter and email and texting, all these things, we, we have a lot of information, 
but very little communication between one another. Very little true listening. Truth is, as one writer put it, people often don't want an opinion. They want a listener. Isn't that true? (laughs) Certainly true in most marriages. Wives don't want a husband who is going to fix it or give an opinion about what they're talking about. They want a listener. And it's true for men as well. We want someone who understands us, who listens. I think that's why at least some people go to a counselor, professional counselor. They're willing to pay the money because they just want somebody who will listen. There's an old African parable which describes why human beings have two ears and one tongue. You can guess why. (laughs) Because we should listen twice as much as we speak. (laughs) Well, I believe we're called by God to be good listeners. But not just to one another. In fact, most important is that we learn to listen to Him. That we learn to listen to God. But listening is a skill we need to learn. We're not very good at it. We've lost the art of listening to God, first of all and foremost. In the words of that wise old sage, Winnie the Pooh, if the person you're talking to doesn't appear to be listening, be patient. It may simply be that he has a small piece of fluff in his ear. (laughs) This morning we want to talk about how to take the fluff out of your own ear. (laughs) So you can listen. Listen to God and listen to one another. David is a good listener. At least in this passage, sometimes he gets a lot of fluff in his ears and doesn't hear. But in this passage, he listens. He hears. The fluff is gone. And from this passage, I think we can learn some wonderful truths about how we can be better listeners ourselves and learn what to listen for. So pray with me. And let's look at this text. Gracious Lord, thank you that you speak, that you are constantly speaking. But Lord, we admit we we often don't hear you because of the fluff in our ears, our busyness, whatever it might be that distracts us from hearing your voice. Use this passage today. Soften our hearts. Open our ears. Speak, Lord, that we might hear. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So let's remind ourselves of the setting. As we saw last week, the first part of chapter 25 of 1 Samuel, David's been running from Saul. He's frustrated. He's tired of running from Saul. And he comes to Nabal's who he protected his sheep, he cared for his men. He was a good friend to him, and he asked for the common Middle Eastern courtesy of hospitality. Do you have anything for my men? We're hungry. We're in the wilderness. It's tough. And Nabal rejects him, ignores him, said, Who is this guy? Many servants are breaking away from their masters. I'm not going to give him even a cup of water. Well, David's furious. He's angry. This isn't fair. And he's just tired, I think. So he stuffs his ears with fluff, 
So he doesn't have to hear the Lord, and he goes after Nabal to kill him. He's had it. But Abigail, Nabal's wife, comes to David and confronts him. And she, in a masterful way in chapter 25, confronts David, but she helps him pull the fluff out of his ears, helps point him to the fact that God is in his life. His life is bundled up with God, with the living. David, you don't want to kill this guy. You don't want the guilt of this on your life because God has much bigger plans for you. And in a wonderful way, she points him to God so that he can hear the voice of God in the midst of even his frustration and his passion and his anger. Does David listen? He does. In this case, he does. He responds. But he doesn't listen just to Abigail, and this is the key, I think, for us to hear from this text. He doesn't listen to just Abigail, but he listens to the Lord speaking through her. And that is so key that we have ears to listen to God speaking through our circumstances, through the people around us, to us. And God, through Abigail and through this circumstance, reminds David of three great truths about God that he can hang on to. Let's look at those. First truth is that he recognizes that God is his protector. God is his protector. So David listens to Abigail's rebuke. And in verse 32, he blesses her. David said to Abigail, Blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, who sent you this day to meet me, and blessed be your discretion, your wisdom, and blessed be you who have kept me this day from blood guilt. He says, if you hadn't restrained me, if you hadn't kept me from doing this, I would have killed all the males in your household and I would have hurt you. He says that. (laughs) But in verse 35, he says something interesting. See, I have obeyed your voice. Now, your translation may say, I have listened to your voice. That's because in Hebrew, the word for listen or hear is the same word as obey. It's Shema. The Shema from Deuteronomy, hear, O Israel. Shema, O Israel, the Lord your God is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind. You see, in Hebrew, obedience and listening are tied together. It's different in our culture, isn't it? You can hear something, oh yeah, I hear you, and totally ignore it and not let it affect you at all. But that wasn't true in Hebrew. If you heard something and truly heard it and listened, it meant it affected you, it changed you. They're tied together. It's very important. And so David says that. He says, I've obeyed you, I've heard you, I've listened to you, and now I'm going to respond differently. But more than listening to Abigail, David hears the voice of God speaking through her in her words and in her actions. George Blakeman is former elder who goes here to Cole, not here today, but he's, he's one of my models for having a heart for prayer. But one thing he's prayed over and over again, I've heard him pray it in many meetings, elder meetings, etc. Lord, give us big ears. Give us big ears that we might hear you. That's a great prayer. You see, David has big ears. He's pulled the fluff out. And he's 
listening for God to speak through Abigail. He hears God in Abigail's words. Notice in verse 32, he says, The God of Israel sent you this day. Verse 34, The Lord of God Israel lives, so he who has restrained me from hurting you. He sees God at work through this whole thing. He sees God's hand in it. He hears the voice of God speaking to him even through Abigail in this whole situation. He had been shutting his ears to God, but now he's listening. God intervened and stops David in his tracks, and he's willing to hear, to take the fluff out and realize that God is his restrainer or protector. God protects him from his own sin, in this case, from his own passion where he would have murdered Nabal and his whole household, and then he would have carried that blood guilt on his hands from there on. But because David listened, he realized, no, wait, God is my protector. I don't have to give in. God restrained me in this case. God is speaking to him through this. You see, God is our protector all the time, isn't he? He's constantly intervening in your life and my life. We may not see it or hear his voice speaking, but he is constantly protecting us. May God open our eyes so we can see what he's doing. May he open our ears so we can hear how he's speaking to us. God always puts us in situations that are ultimately not too big for us to handle in his strength. Do you realize how God is always putting a head around you to protect you from yourself and from the sinfulness of this world? Remember, in the book of Job, Satan's all upset because God's put a hedge around Job. Verse 8 of chapter 1 of Job. The Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job, that there's none like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man who fears God and turns away from evil? Then Satan answered the Lord and said, Does Job fear God for no reason? Have you not put a hedge around him in his house and all that he has on every side? You've blessed the work of his hands and his possessions have increased in the land. You see, God's always protecting us, even from temptation, constantly. David is recognizing that. Lord, you've restrained me. Now, it's true. God can never tempt us, James says, but he does sometimes allow temptation to happen to grow us, to test us, to strengthen us. But David has eyes to see, wow, Lord, you've restrained me. You've protected me. You are my protector. God is not only our protector, but as David has also learned from this situation, God is our defender because he's listening to God through the situation with Abigail. Verse 36 through 39 says, Abigail came to Nabal and behold, he was holding a feast in his house, like the feast of a king. Remember Nabal, what his name means? Fool. He's a fool. He's someone who's rejected God. In the biblical world, a fool is simply someone who says there is no God. The fool says in his heart there's no God. And he lives life as though God doesn't exist. But in this whole story of David running from Saul and all, I think the narrator here is comparing Saul and Nabal. Because he says Nabal's throwing this huge feast. He doesn't realize he almost just got killed His wife saved his life, and yet he's throwing this big party like a king. Who's the king at this point? 
Saul. You see, there's this comparison here. They're both fools because they're rejecting God's anointed, David himself. And that's a warning to all of us, and that reflects our world today. Those who reject God's anointed, who is Jesus, ultimately will be rejected by God. If you reject Jesus, you're rejecting God. I don't care how religious you are. I don't care how involved you are in a church or how many good things you do. If you reject Jesus, you're ultimately rejecting God. You essentially are a fool because you're not listening to God, to the Word. Jesus is called the Word who was spoken to us and sent for us. So we see more about Nabal. It says his heart was merry within him, for he was drunk. You know, people like that, that the only time they find joy is when they are drunk or finding some way to escape from the world, to numb the pain, to shut out reality. He's so drunk that Abigail can't talk to him because he can't trust God, he can't turn to him. And, but then she said, he says when he finally hears the words from her, it says he be, his heart became, it died within him. He, he became as a stone. What was that? It was the shock, perhaps, of realizing he almost got killed. Maybe he realized his own foolishness. He was confronted with his own sin. And then it says something very interesting. It says, the Lord struck him ten days later. Why do you think God waited ten days? I think God waited 10 days because God loved fools. God never gives up on fools. After all this time of Nabal going his own way, God didn't give up on him. And God confronted him with the truth through his own wife, Abigail, whom he hadn't listened to all these years, a very wise and godly woman. But he hears the truth and he's bedridden for 10 days and has an opportunity to respond to that truth. And I think God loves fools and wants him to respond and repent. But as we see, he never did, and he eventually died. God is gracious and kind, but if we refuse to hear his voice, ultimately, in the end, he will give us what we've chosen. God respects us enough to give us what we've chosen, and if we've chosen life without him, if we've chosen to reject his truth and what he's speaking to us, then that's what we'll get. An eternity without him. That's the grace of God. So what did David hear in this whole situation of Nabal's death? Well, we hear in verse 39, when David heard, okay, David heard the situation, he knew what happened, but he just didn't hear that. He heard God speaking through it. When David heard that Nabal was dead, he said, Blessed be the Lord who has avenged the insult I received at the hand of Nabal, and he has kept back his servant from wrongdoing. The Lord has turned the evil of Nabal on his own head. So David heard God's voice in this. In this whole situation, he heard about Nabal's death, and he saw that God was his avenger, my translation. Another word might be defender. God is our defender. 
And that word for avenge or defend is one that means to plead for someone's rights. We're told in the Scriptures, you should defend the rights of orphans, of widows, of the oppressed, of those hurt by society. You should be an avenger for them. You should defend their rights. But here, David wanted to defend his own rights. But when he didn't, he learned something, that God was his defender. You see, I think this is a testimony of Scripture that we don't ever have to defend our own rights. We are not called to defend our own rights. We are called to trust God who is our own defender. We are to defend the rights of the oppressed, but not our own. Our job is to trust Him with our rights and obey Him in the midst of that. I think this is one reason that Christians have kind of lost a lot of our testimony in our culture today because we've fallen into this pattern of defending our own rights. When we lose rights as Christians or maybe they, we get put down at work or whatever it might be, we fight for our own rights. You can't treat me like that. I need to stand up for myself. We fight the culture wars because we don't like the fact that we're in a postmodern culture and a post-Christian culture, so we fight the culture wars. I think we do that because we haven't listened to God. Because God tells us very clearly, don't fight for your rights. I'm your defender. Trust me. Depend on me. Let me just read a couple passages that remind us that we need to be following Jesus and not defend our own rights, but trust Him, as David is learning to do, as our defender. Philippians chapter 2. Beautiful passage where it begins in verse 5, Philippians 2. Have this mind among yourselves, which is also in Christ Jesus. In other words, it begins, says, have the attitude of Jesus. Okay, so what is that? says, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God as something to be grasped or hung on to, but made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant. When it says Jesus didn't grab onto the rights, he was God. He had every right to be treated as God. And he said, no, I will not grasp onto that. I will let it go and make myself a servant. And that's what we are called to do, he says, is to do the same. In the end, he became, he humbled himself, became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross, the passage says. Therefore, God highly exalted him. Another passage, just a reminder, 1 Peter chapter 2, beginning in verse 21. For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. Okay, we're called to follow Christ again, to walk in his steps. What were his steps? He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. See, that's our calling as Christians to, like David, not defend our own rights, not avenge ourselves, not take it in our own hands, but to follow Christ in entrusting ourselves to the Father 
and humbling ourselves before Him because He is our defender. He will take care of us. And we can trust Him to do that in His way and His timing. And then finally, what did David learn from this situation? When he listened to God, he listened and discovered that God is his provider. He is our provider. Verse 39 and following, the end of 39, David sent and spoke to Abigail to take her as his wife. Sent the servant, he comes and becomes his wife. I think this is God's provision for David in a very special and unique way. Remember back verse 1, we talked about it last week, Samuel died, the great prophet of God. This is the one that David depended on to hear from the Lord. Now he's dead. And David doesn't handle it well. He starts acting out. But now God has sent someone else into his life, Abigail, who speaks truth to him, who has great wisdom for him, and takes Nabal away and now provides a wife for him, a wise, godly wife at the right time. God provides for us what we need at the right time. Let me read verse 42 and following. Abigail hurried, rose, and mounted a donkey, brought her five young women, attended her. She followed the messengers of David and became his wife. David also took Ahinoam of Jezreel, and both of them became his wives. Saul had given Michael, his daughter, David's wife, to Pati, the son of Laish, who was of Galim. Saul had taken Michael, his daughter, away from David. So God provides another wife, Abigail. But then it says he married someone else, Ahinoam. This raises the question in Scripture. We run into this a number of places. What does God really think about multiple wives? A lot of the patriarchs had multiple wives, right? So how should we think about that? Well, I think first of all, we see that when God created man and woman, he created one man, one woman for one another. That's God's design. And in all the places there's multiple wives, it's never seen in a really favorable light. It's part of the culture sometimes, but it's never really seen in a favorable light. It's interesting, as you look at these wives, Ahinoam, later David took more wives. But the son of Ahinoam, this wife he took, was Amnon. Second Samuel, you discover that Amnon rapes his half-sister, who's the daughter of a different wife than these, and then gets murdered by Absalom, of the same mother of, as Tamar, who was raped. And then Absalom tries to kill David, takes over the kingdom. It's just a mess. You see, it didn't work out well for David to take multiple wives. And uh, I think that's God's testimony here. It's very interesting to me, when you look at Abigail, this wife that God gave him, she had one son, we're told in the Scriptures. And his name was Chiliab. Anybody name your kid Chiliab? You know, real common name today. Interesting that Chiliab means restrainer. One who restrains. Same word that's used back in verse 32, 33, where it says, You have restrained or kept me this day from blood guilt. David married Abigail, and then they named their son Chiliab to remind them of who God is 
God is their protector. God is their restrainer. God is the one who takes care of them. The beautiful thing that David did here. Because I think Abigail was the gift of God. Now, later on, they're not in the picture, neither Abigail nor Chiliab, as David becomes king, and also maybe they died young. We don't really know what happened to them. But David has learned through this, I think, that God is our protector. God is our defender. God is our provider in a deeper way than he ever has before. Why? Because he didn't keep the fluff in his ears and just go kill Nabal because he was mad. But he took the fluff out and listened, not just to the words of Abigail, but to God speaking to him through her and through this whole situation. So the question is, how did David learn to listen? How did he learn to take the fluff out? Because we need to do that, don't we? We need to learn how to listen to God ultimately and to one another better. How did David learn to listen? Well, let me just give you a few thoughts here. First, I think he learned to listen by being in the truth. David was the shepherd and he hung out with the sheep and he was out there all day. Now, if I were out hanging with the sheep all day, I think I'd get a little resentful that I'm the youngest of the sons and I've got to be out there while they're doing all the fun stuff and, you know, I would probably get upset about it. But David used that time to write many of the Psalms, to listen to the Lord, to hear from the Lord in that place. He was in the truth and you see so much truth in his scriptures. He spent time in the truth. Jeannie and I were in Italy with our son who speaks Italian. We didn't. I tried to listen, but I didn't understand the Italian. We needed a translator. I've had a number of people even just recently come to me and say, well, you say we should be in the truth, but I try reading the Bible. It just doesn't make sense to me. I don't get it. So I just won't read it. Well, you know what? In Italy, it would have gone a lot better if I had known the language. And if you're having trouble reading the scriptures, it doesn't make sense to you. Hang in there, keep reading, so you can learn the language. Yes, pastors, friends can translate it for you, but it's much better when you learn the language yourself. That takes learning to study, take classes so you learn how to dig into the scriptures, how to understand the historical background, understand the words, understand what's going on. But if you just spend time in it, the Holy Spirit will begin to reveal truth to you and speak to you. How did David learn to listen? By being in the truth. We've got to do that if we want to learn to listen. Secondly, how did David learn to listen? I think by being in the wilderness. Notice how God sent him into the wilderness to be a shepherd. And then God had Saul chase him into the wilderness. It was, it's in those times of wilderness that God speaks to us often the most profoundly. In fact, Tom Manning reminded me this morning in between services that the word for wilderness in Hebrew is midbar. From the root, davar, which means to speak or the noun word. You see, in the wilderness, God speaks. In the wilderness, we can hear his word. When everything else is stripped away, that's where we can hear the word of God most clearly. And in that wilderness, as David had everything else stripped away, 
He wrote many of the Psalms. He heard from the Lord and God spoke to him in profound ways and gave him that heart like God's. So I don't know what kind of wilderness you might be going through right now. Relational wilderness or a health wilderness. You may feel like, I'm so limited and trapped where I am. I don't have time to serve God or I can't serve God because of my health or whatever. Well, maybe God has put you in a place so that you will learn to listen. Believe me, he's speaking. And the wilderness is a wonderful place to hear. I know God has spoken most profoundly in my life during those times when I've been in the wilderness, when I've experienced real difficulty in ministry, had to leave positions, when I had a heart attack some 12 years ago and was laid up for a while. God spoke in a profound way to my, my life and my heart. God uses times in the wilderness as a gift to us so we might learn to listen. And then finally, I think David learned to listen by simply being silent with God, learning to be silent with God. Because we can hear God best in the silence. I think about my prayers much of my life have been frantic lists, right? Okay, I need to pray, so here's ten things I want God to do, and maybe I'll throw in a little praise here and there, because I I think I'm supposed to do that. Okay, now I prayed, now I'll get on with life. (laughs) But I'm just learning, learning to really listen to God, to hear Him. Listening to God means being quiet before Him and letting Him speak to us. And you may feel like, I don't have time to do that. You know what I think? If you have a heart to be silent before God and hear Him, you'll find you have all kinds of opportunities. I find that God wakes me up in the middle of the night. And I used to be real frustrated. I need sleep, I need sleep. And now I'm learning, okay, God, what do you have for me? Speak, Lord. Early in the morning, late at night, wherever it might be, maybe driving in your car, you know, we flip on the radio and we listen to whatever. I found that that can often be a really good time to just be quiet with God and let him speak to us and look for his hand, listen for his voice. Believe me, God is always speaking if we'd only have big ears to hear. (laughs) We'd take the fluff out. There's an ancient prayer that I think is really worth doing. It's called the prayer of examine. And it's a prayer where just before you go to sleep at night, you spend time saying, okay, Lord, speak to me about today. As you go back over your day, look for how God was speaking to you and how he was moving in your life and look for God's hand in it. It's a wonderful way of just looking and seeing how God is at work. Thomas Akempis wrote in the 1300s in The Imitation of Christ, he says this, I shall take heed, says a devout soul, and I shall hear what my Lord Jesus will say to me. Blessed is that man who hears Jesus speaking in his soul and who takes from his mouth some word of comfort. Blessed are those ears which hear the secret whisperings of Jesus and give no heed to the deceitful whisperings of this world And blessed are the good, plain ears which heed not outward speech, but what God speaks and teaches inwardly in the soul. We have a lot of fluff in our ears. (laughs) 
as Winnie the Pooh has said, and only quietness, listening, focus will get the fluff out. And that kind of listening to God will give us discernment to hear Him as we learn His language, as we learn to hear Him speak over the din of what the world is saying. And we will have the ability to see God's hand at work and to hear His voice as He whispers to us, this is the way, walk in it. I want to close with a prayer by A.W. Tozer, who was a pastor in the last century in Chicago. And let this be a prayer to close our teaching time today. Lord, teach me to listen. The times are noisy, and my ears are weary with the thousand raucous sounds which continuously assault them. Give me the spirit of the boy Samuel when he said to you, Speak, for your servant hears. Let me hear you speaking in my heart. Let me get used to the sound of your voice, that its tones may be familiar when the sounds of earth die away, and the only sound will be the music of your speaking voice. Amen.